What's up? You're listening to Fork the Product. I'm your host, Nick Casares. And I'm your other host, Zach Cohen. Fork the Product is a podcast that explores the intersection of blockchain, product, and user experience. We interview founders and builders to understand how they're approaching problems in the blockchain space. The show is brought to you in part by Polyant Labs. Nick, can you talk for a second about Polyant? Sure. Polyant is a blockchain-focused, early-stage startup incubator. We're headquartered in Phoenix, Arizona. And I say we're because in my other life, I'm the director of product for Polyant. Long story short, we help founders bring their ideas to life by providing them with early-stage funding, mentoring, and support with things like development, design, and marketing services. If you're an entrepreneur or developer and you have a vision that you'd like to discuss with Polyant, visit our website at polyant.io. That's P-O-L-Y-I-E-N-T dot I-O for more information. Great. Thanks for your support, Polyant. Now on to today's show. We apologize if the audio quality of this episode is a little bit different than what you've come to expect. The following episode was recorded live and on location at ETH Denver 2020. In this episode, we sit down with David Gold, founder and CEO of Dapix, the company behind the foundation for inner wallet operability that is building a new decentralized open source blockchain protocol that makes it easier and less risky to use blockchain tokens. All right, welcome back to Fork the Product. Uh, we're very excited to have David Gold from FIO and would love to uh, hear a little bit about what your project is and we'll dive into some of the questions. Yeah, sure. So uh, the FIO protocol is uh, going to do for blockchain what HTTP did for the internet, make it easy to use. People forget, some may not even know, that the internet was around for over a decade before Usage exploded and, and the mass market started to, to, to use it, and that was caused by usability, HTTP. Yeah. So the FIO protocol is a decentralized usability layer that sits alongside all the other blockchains that are out there um, and makes them easy to use. It handles workflow, data confirmations about the sending of value on other chains, but it does not send that value. Um, and by doing that, it abstracts away all the complexities. So that's at the high level what the FIO protocol is, is all about. And our company, Dapix, is a venture-backed company. Uh, our investors include uh, Binance Labs, uh, Lunex Ventures, NGC Ventures, Blockwell Capital, First Smile Ventures, Access Venture Partners, about half dozen venture funds, yeah. Crypto Angels. Yeah. Uh, we built the first version of the protocol, which is now owned by the Foundation for Interwallet Operability, which is where FIO comes from. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, and I was looking at your page. You've got an impressive investor list. Um, that's awesome. Looks like you're well-supported. Uh, how, sorry, how long has the project been around? Yeah, so we uh, Dapix was launched uh, uh, back in June of 2018. Um, and so we've been working on building the first version of the protocol ever since then. So over a year and a half uh, at work building the, the blockchain and the protocol. Okay. Um, and the foundation was formed last year. Uh, the foundation is completely independent nonprofit entity as a board from the industry. Um, and uh, ultimately, the foundation really is the center of gravity for this project, which is is intended to be a community-run, community-driven protocol. Okay. Yeah, and I think we were talking about this before the interview, but uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more about the, the structure and the function, the functioning of the, the membership and the community. How does it operate? Um, how, does, how does a wallet uh, get involved? Tell us more. Yeah, so maybe even step back from that and say, why does a wallet get involved? Um, so the FIO protocol... Again, kind of at a very high level only, like HTTP, 
is a protocol that crypto products integrate into their product and then users use it by using the products that are FIO enabled. Sure. In the same way that users use HTTP through a web browser. That sure. Is, yeah, you know, it's, it's behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so FIO members are companies that have the, at this point, intent to integrate the protocol and in the not distant future, we'll have integrated the protocol as we go live with Mainnet here uh, in March. Uh, and many of them are already working on their integrations. Um, and so that's what being a FIO member means. They, they've actually signed a memorandum of understanding with the foundation saying, hey, we support the project. We, uh, we have the intent to integrate this and be involved in the project. Many of them will end up being block producers and running nodes okay. on the blockchain as well. It's not a requirement, but it's fully expected that many of them will do that as well. In terms of requirements, are there minimum commitments in terms of engagement with the, the community? Um, there's a commitment for the full FIO members to be integrated within six months of mainnet launch. Okay. So that's really the commitment that they've, that they've made to, to stay involved. Yep. Okay. And can you describe, uh, a bit of what the problems are that you're trying to solve? Um, yeah. what motivates those Yeah, folks? Yeah. And yeah. even some anecdotes. Yeah, no, this is, that's real simple. Um, I'm assuming the answer will be yes to this, but have you guys ever sent crypto from a wallet before? Of course. Yes. <laughs> How do you feel when you hit send? Nervous. Yeah, yeah anxious. scared. How often do you send a test send before you send a full send? All the time. All the time. Yeah. Can crypto ever become mass, massively adopted with that sort of user experience? Not at all. No, no way. Yeah. That's the problem that, that the FIO protocol solves. Um, and so how does it solve that? At mainnet launch, the FIO protocol will have three core capabilities, and then there's a whole long roadmap after that of things that, that FIO can potentially do. Those three initial things are FIO addresses, FIO requests, and FIO data. FIO addresses are human-readable wallet addresses that work identically and instantly across every single token or coin because FIO does not integrate with other blockchains. Technically speaking, other blockchains don't even know FIO exists. That's part of the magic of FIO. Yeah. Um, and so the ability to, to use uh, you know, David at Edge on my Edge wallet um, and say, hey, just send, send me the Bitcoin or the ETH or the Litecoin to David at Edge. Uh, and it's just that simple. Second, FIO requests. Very critically needed functionality. In blockchain, transactions start with send. That's really the extent of most blockchains functionality is send. Is, is I want to move a, a ledger entry from here to here. Um, in the real world, transactions don't start with send. There are steps that lead up to that before you actually send. And so critically is the request for send. What is a request for send? Order cards are a request for send. An invoice is a request for send. A bill is a request for send. A note to your roommate saying, dude, you owe me half the month's rent is a request for send. Sure. By me being able to send a request to send you from my wallet or exchange to yours in a decentralized and private way means that you can get it, review it. Obviously, you're not going to approve it if you weren't expecting it, if it isn't correct. And if it is, you have an error-free transaction. No need for test sends. Yeah. The last FIO data I just alluded to is the context for the transaction. Most transactions of value in the real world have context. Sure. What is this for? My order card tells me what it's for. My invoice tells me what it's for. The note to your roommate says this is what it's for. The old memo field on the old-fashioned checks that nobody uses anymore is, is metadata. What is this for? So some blockchains have the concept of metadata, some don't, but they all work differently. Guess what? How many wallets out there support metadata on all the different chains. Almost none of them support metadata on any chain. Right. Yeah. And, the, right. and the reason is because of what I just said. So FIO data is homogeneous. It works identically across all of them. And then it becomes useful for wallets and exchanges to integrate. So if, oh, we can use this for everything in an identical way. And we just have to integrate once. Yeah. So those are the three core capabilities that FIO will enable at, at mainnet launch.
you know, it's funny, we were talking earlier with a previous interview and, and a previous guest, and we were talking about how when you're thinking about crypto and explaining it to a newcomer, you almost have to go back to the beginning of money and, and talk about some of the core functionality of money and the reason why we have things like money. And you, you take for granted things like metadata around a transaction because it's just part of our natural way of transacting right. with each other. And so when we're building a new system and thinking about the future, the fact that we have to have a protocol to support those things, you know, it's it's one of those baby steps that's going to set the, the future. So um, I'm curious how uh, FIA protocol plays against, uh, there are some competitive protocols, aren't there? Uh, things like ENS or what, what are some of the other Yeah, so th there are other projects that are attacking the FIO address part of what we're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so first of all, it's really important to understand the address part is the part that people may understand the quickest because they may have heard of something like ENS. And so they're like, oh, I, I get that because I've heard about some things like this before. But FIO is much more than, than that. So you, you can't send requests for payments with ENS. Uh, you can't have cross-chain metadata with ENS, and you won't be able to do some of the future things that FIO will enable, like recurring payments, fee splitting, yeah. secure routing of multi-signature requests. Multi-sig will be very important for businesses because in businesses, you can never have one person sign on a right. transaction. Sure. How do you route those requests for a multi-sig? Today, you route them in an unsecure, centralized way through email and stuff like that, the subject demand in the middle attacks. So FIO will provide, provide secure multi-sig routing. So all, it is it is an entire service layer that goes beyond just wallet names. So that's number one. Number two, when it comes to wallet names, th there's some important things that have to be done for them to be done right. ENS is a great idea. It's a great project, but it, it has some fundamental issues with it. Number one, um, ENS also wants to be decentralized DNS, for domain name server for the web. Right. We believe those two issues are related, but should not be conflated. Um, and what I mean by that is DNS needs to be open text. If I want to go to a website, my, my software needs to be able to resolve that into an IP address. Sure. Everybody needs to be able to read that. A wallet address should not be open text. Because if your wallet address is open text, it means you give me your, if I give you David at Edge as my FIO address, and if it was open text, you can look up all my public addresses on every blockchain. Sure. Right. Even though I might just be sending you ETH, you now know my Bitcoin public address. And so you're like, oh, David, you can solve that easily. You've probably, have you ever heard of HD or deterministic wallets? Just use one of them, right? That solves it. Wrong, it doesn't solve it. The problem is with something like ENS, HD deterministic wallets, they rotate out that public address every time to yeah. keep your privacy. Yeah. On ENS, every time you do that, you have to update your mapping, which is manual on ENS. Right. On yeah. FIO, it's automatic. It's you have to pay a gas fee every time you update that on ENS. Yeah. FIO, you don't pay a gas fee every time. I can explain more, more about how that works. Um, and then even if you did that, you just wasted your time and money. Why? It's a blockchain. It has the complete history of all the right, updates. Right. So, so somebody <laughs> can go and look. Somebody yeah. can go and look at it all. So, so huge privacy issues around other naming systems that Fio solves um, through a functionality that will come out shortly after mainnet called friending, where you can create a friends list, oh, and when you create friends. Uh, it uses uh, encryption to create a shared secret. And so now even mm -hmm. your public addresses are not exposed um, in plain text. Uh, and out of the box, uh, even at mainnet launch, things like FIO data, that is not stored in plain text on the FIO blockchain. Right. It is encrypted. And the only people who can decrypt that or only entities that can decrypt are the ones with the, the FIO private keys who are counterparties in that right. transaction. Right. Right. So the sender and receiver can both decrypt the, the FIO data but anybody else looking at it, 
they let they don't have the pro the one of those two pri field private keys they can't read it right. it's just sure. encrypted data on the blockchain so you get this beautiful marriage of an immutable ledger of important contextual information that is still private yeah right so that that's sort of it's a long answer but it's important no, Fio, no, no that's, Fio, that's Fio is, is private and secure and decentralized and and other wallet naming efforts are pretty much not yeah. and I know uh, you have a really long and impressive list of wallets who have already signed on to be FIA members. Uh, we all know how important it is to cultivate a community like that. Can you walk us through what that process was like for you and um, you know what you think led to the success that you've had building it up? Uh, yeah, so um, you know, it's like any startup. The process is always long and hard. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, it was easy." We have 28 <laughs> one, few members. One yeah, yeah, one time. Time. <laughs> um, it was you know early on. It was hand to hand combat, um, <laughs> and uh, you know the good news is that we were able to find a half dozen uh, companies that early on that shared our vision, um, as, uh, agreed on the problem, dug into our solution, and got really excited about it, and were willing to jump in. Quite honestly, when this was mostly just still an idea, there are not yeah. that much code written sure. to say we'll be founding, you know, FIO members. We'll make the commitment. If you guys build it, we'll we'll integrate it. Great problem um, validation. Yeah, and so that was a validation point for us. And then from there, it's just continual just conversations with more and more of the ecosystem members saying, well, what is this about? What does it mean? How do we do it? So that the, the main reason that FIO members have jumped in to do this is because they know this problem has to be solved for them to be truly successful because without mass adoption, they're never going to really be successful, right? Um, you need mass adoption for, for those wallets and exchanges and crypto payment processors to actually become really successful big enterprises. Second is, you know, as we were talking in advance of, of the session here, you talked about business models. Right. One of the things with FIO is that it actually has a business model. But interestingly, as you guys are probably aware, some of your listeners may, may or may not be aware, blockchain is disrupting a couple, you know, a few different things. And one of them is business models. Mm -hmm. The ability to, have, to think about business models in a different way and in a decentralized way becomes possible. Right. So FIO's business model is decentralized. It is architected so that much of the economic benefit of the FIO protocol ends up going to the companies that integrate it. So they looked at this and said, holy cow, this is a, a big problem that has to be solved. We love your technical solution because it's decentralized, it's private, it's going to be secure. We love the way that you've architected this so that it isn't just a cost to us to integrate because most other things are just a cost to them to sure. integrate. Right, sure. This it does cost them to integrate, but they're like, we actually will make ongoing residual. There's an ROI there, right? ROI yeah. from this, we can support our product and our users, and that's critical. And then last, they actually can participate in governance. A delegate proves a stake blockchain because of how we architected the token structure. The ecosystem will end up being a significant part of the governance. That's very intentional because Fio is not intended to be an open-use public blockchain like Ethereum or EOS and others. Right. It's not intended to be like those. Those are that's very important to have those. Right. Um, those are really wonderful things to have, but that isn't what FIO is. FIO is an industry standard. Right. And so it really is meant to be mostly governed by the industry, the industry meaning crypto companies that actually integrate it. So all of those feed into the business model around FIO that has helped us get 28 FIO members before mainnet's even even live. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm I'm curious um, on the day-to-day -day of of shipping, building and shipping at FIO. In terms of uh, discovery or user experience, how do you how do you think about that? Because you're operating in this environment where you're dealing with 
you know, maybe a couple dozen wallets, right? And then developers of those companies and they're trying to ship. So where does the discovery process and the user experience come into play for, for FIA? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll answer it in a, a couple of ways. Um, so the actual user experience happens at the level of our FIA members, right? They're the ones providing right, right, the, the right. software that users actually interact with directly. Is and, there and, any kind of developer experience for your, your members? So there is a suite of SDKs okay. and there's a suite of APIs. And that's really the way that um, the ecosystem accesses the FIO protocol is through the APIs and they can use the SDKs or not use the SDKs. They can obviously just build it from, from scratch. The SDKs are just, you know, make it easier, do it faster. Sure. Um, th but FIO doesn't dictate the actual specifics of the UI. Um, each product, you know, each integration that's been done, the UIs are pretty different. Yeah. Um, just in the same way you can right. have two different crypto wallets and the UIs sure. will be different. Sure. So they really have the freedom to decide how they want to integrate that and how they want the UI to be in their product. Um, you know, there's key things that have to be there. You have to be able to type in a FIO address and have it resolved so I can send with a FIO address. I need to have an area where I can do a request, a FIO request, where I can enter, enter in somebody else's FIO address and an amount and a type of token or coin and put in my FIO data, which might be my note, and be able to submit that to the blockchain. I need an area where I can see my requests that have come to me, right? Sure. And then I either need an area in my wallet or I need a button or a link uh, that jumps out to a web page that the foundation uh, is providing where I can register a FIO address or FIO domain. Uh, that can either happen in wallet or they can literally just click out um, and do it on the uh, foundation's website. Um, and a lot of wallets will do that because that way they don't have to build that that UI inside of their site. Inside is of their is there anybody in, inside of the foundation or, or one of the members or group of the members who are, I guess, stewarding the user experience from a meta perspective? Because it, it seems like there are certain flows in wallets that would become expected and users want to see that from wallet to wallet so, similar to e-commerce right sort of yeah but no the answer would be you know right now the the thinking is that's the differentiator between a lot of the products is their user experience and they're each gonna tackle that in the way they think is best for their product and that's a good thing <clears throat> Um, there will become best practices that become sure. known as, yeah. as some wallets are more successful and some exchanges are more accessible. And with exchanges, the integration happens at the withdraw deposit part of the exchange because everything mm -hmm. else is a walled garden that they control and actually doesn't interact with blockchain in any way. Right. The only part of the centralized exchanges that interacts with blockchain is withdraw deposit. Um, and withdraw deposit is where they would inter integrate FIO. Okay. Um, so if you wanted to deposit funds, you'd say... I want to deposit this much Bitcoin, for example, and it would say, give us the FIO address of the wallet you're making the deposit from, and it would say a request for deposit has been sent. You'd go to your wallet, you'd open it up, you'd see a request for deposit from your exchange. It would have FIO data showing you all the details of the transaction of what you're doing. It would see, you know, how many bit, the same Bitcoin, you would approve it, sign it in your wallet. That's how easy a deposit becomes. Sure. Um, so that's, uh, so the user experience, so will be different from product to product, and that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned earlier the business model. Uh, could you actually dive into some of the details of what that is, um, where money accrues and how? Yeah, so the FIO token is a utility token. Um, its initial primary use will be for registering FIO addresses and FIO domains. 
Um, so you, you pay an annual fee to register a FIO address or FIO domain. Few, most people will just get a FIO address on their wallet's domain, kind of like Gmail, Hotmail. Mm -hmm. That's what most people will do. Mm -hmm. A minority will choose to have their own domain, which is an NFT, that the non-fungible token that they own, they control, that they can transfer, et cetera. Uh, certainly businesses will, will get those as well. Um, that the fee for that can be paid by the user or it can be paid by a third party, which is one of the many innovations in our blockchain. We're not aware of any other blockchain that has the concept of uh, pay on behalf of another key. Mm, so ours does. And so that means that a wallet or exchange could say, hey, for our customers or for maybe certain customers, we're, we're just going to give them their FIO address every year. We're not going to charge them right. the 2 or $3 equivalent in it token fees. It's easy onboarding. Because, and because they're presumptively making money from them in other ways. Right, I mean, people, sure. people may say, well, oh, 2 $3 a year for a FIO address. Well, I get my email address for free. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you either pay there's for it cost. or there's, or there's advertising and yeah. privacy yeah. you're giving up. Absolutely. Gmail is making money off you. There's yeah. ads that yes. show up all the time. So wallets and exchanges and crypto, they'll either make money off their users in other ways and pay for it, or they'll have their users pay for this on their behalf. So the economics are, that's the initial economics. As, as crypto becomes mass adopted, um, there's a whole longer list of ways that the FIO token will be used. Businesses will end up having to have a stash of FIO tokens because if they every time somebody checks out if they're an e-commerce company, they're gonna to want to send them a FIO request. Sure. And they will have to have a stash to pay what will be, you know, pennies of transaction fees mm -hmm. every time they're pushing out a FIO request with FIO data. Um, and they'll they'll still have to keep buying FIO tokens to do that. Some of those other uh, advanced features I mentioned about, you know, multi-sig writing, things like that will probably have token charges. If you want to transfer your domain to somebody, there'll be a transfer charge. So there are other token charges as well with FIO, um, what you don't have as a user, and this is really important, you don't have incremental transaction fees when you use FIO to send or receive. Okay. So you don't. And it's another innovation on our blockchain is this concept of prepaid transactions. Yep. So when you register a FIO address, you're getting a whole bundle of transactions. And those bundle of transactions are sitting there on account for you to use. And only the extraordinarily high volume user would ever blow through those in a year sure. of the, the H1 has a year uh, period. Businesses would that, you know, have thousands and thousands right. and thousands of customers. And that's why they'll need FIO tokens. Um, so, so they, so users will have that one-time experience. If I just register my FIO address, I'm done for the year. That's yeah. it. No, no additional fees. Uh, they just pay. If there's an ETH fee for sending ETH, they'll pay that. If there's a Bitcoin fee because they're sending Bitcoin, they'll pay that, obviously. But no, yeah. no other fees ahead. So those, those economics come in, and um, uh, eighty-five percent of that goes out to the primary and backup block-producing nodes that are running the network. Five percent goes to the foundation for interwallet operability to fund protocol enhancements. And 10% goes to the wallet or exchange where the um, where the transaction initiated. Okay. So that's one of the ways the wallets and exchanges make money is they get 10% right. uh, residual off of that. Second is um, wallets and exchanges that integrate, um, in, certainly over this next year, are all getting integration airdrops. And they can use those airdrops um, to basically ensure that they can be a block producing node or part of a BP. They could team sure. up with another one. And now they're getting a piece of that 85%. Yeah, on an ongoing right. residual basis. Right. Um, so those are some of the key ways that, that they make uh, make money off of this. So, I, you know, something that we, I think, discuss a lot, Nick and I, both on the show and outside of the show, is the complexity of something like token economy. And um, really curious to understand how you and your team have tackled the design of that to ensure, um, you know, what will be a sustainable ecosystem that benefits everybody. Yeah, I would say... Um, we've tackled it in two ways. One is a, a lot of 
input and discussion with lots of people. Um, I mean, extraordinary amount of thinking behind it. But but on top of that, we've tackled it by ensuring that the blockchain itself is flexible enough that the block producing nodes can actually change things on the fly. Because guess what? We probably didn't get it completely right. right, right. Um, you know, it's just the way things work. But the the governance of the code on FIO is two players plus one of the primary nodes. And so they can change code. And so... Um, What's the consensus mechanism? It's a delegated proof state. So it, 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 yeah, it's pretty... Yeah. It, we, we are a fork of EOS, to be specific. Oh, okay. So we didn't start oh. with a blank sheet of paper. We did Got a deep it. analysis of 12 or 20 different blockchains, sure. open source blockchains, and decided to start with EOS. Now, we are very different from EOS. You've already heard some of the things that we do that EOS doesn't yeah. do. We don't do some of the things that EOS does. Um, you well, know, and you're not... You're not purporting to be a public blockchain, right? Like, well, it is a closed ecosystem. No, it, no, it, very careful. It is public in that it's completely publicly viewable and accessible, and anybody who gets sufficient votes can be a node. So it is a public blockchain, but it's not intended to be public use. So what do I mean by that? If I want to go put a smart contract together to write it and put it on EOS to do some function, I can just go do that. Right, right. You can't do that on FIO. Right. right. Okay. So new, new, new functionality, sure. new capabilities actually have to be approved by two thirds plus one of the nodes. Mm -hmm. So there is no chance that uh, FIO CryptoKitties gets created and takes down the FIO blockchain. There's no chance because th that it would never be allowed to function because the nodes have to approve even addition of smart contracts. And they've the, the game and they know. Yeah, they, <laughs> Many of them are going to be running products in the ecosystem. So it is public and then anybody can view it, anybody can see it. And if you got the votes, you could be a node, but it's not a public computing platform in the sense that anybody can build whatever they want. Got it. Yeah, no, that's a yeah. really important yeah, decision. Important decision. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, a high level, what excites you most about crypto these days? Uh, and then on the other hand, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges ahead? So, uh, you know, what excites me the most about, about crypto is the ability, you know, to create um, ease of transfer of value and a return to greater economic freedom. Um, so that I think probably excites a lot of people in the yeah. space. Um, and we could probably spend a whole hour talking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, so that, that really is, you know, what, what excites me the most about it. Um, and as far as what it's going to take to get there, I mean, it is about usability. It is about usability. I think there are three core things that have to happen to, for us to start to see mass adoption. And we're addressing one of the three. Um, the, one of the three is, you know, user experience and making it really easy, safe, confident for users, making it better than Venmo and PayPal, because yeah. it's worse than it today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but with Theo, we think we get to the point where it's better because this request for payments, data, everything, the things it can do will actually be things that even PayPal and Venmo don't do, let alone the fact that you can do this globally around the world, instantaneously, right. blah, right. blah, blah, decentralized, private. So um, usability. Second is stability, which is as is being answered, and that, you know, that's probably the furthest along. You know, it's going to be hard for us to have true commerce at high volumes with uh, a token or coin that has high variability in price. Sure. Um, but obviously, there's lots of options for that. We pay vendors every single month in stable coins, every single month. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world because, wow. because they're international and they're global. And it is just so easy to pay them that way versus if we tried to send them an international wire with fiat. Absolutely. Um, Eating your own dog food. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and as soon as, as our protocol goes live here in March, we will be sending them with, uh, we'll say, send us a fiat request. We're not, <laughs> we're not paying you unless you send us a fiat request with your invoice, yeah. then we'll pay you. And then third, the third key issue that has to be improved 
um, is the issue of private key um, security and custody. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that centralized is the right answer, and I don't believe that fully self-sovereign is the right answer. Most, I, I agree with that. Most, yeah. most people do not want all, you know, most of their net worth you know, sitting in their house. No. They wouldn't want all the money that's in their bank sitting in their house in a safe or underneath their bed. It's just not a comfortable feeling. Yeah. So so there are projects out there, there are things to have that are also very early, you know, where you can create shared, you know, key sharding and shared key management, multi-sig, different things that can be done. I think that the ultimate answer is shared where users have control, but they do have um, a service provider that they're working with and that they do trust where that service provider can't do anything on their own, but they're trusting them to be, you know, that companion right, that says, right. hey, if somebody takes my key, they still can't do anything. Yeah, if right. somebody takes my service provider's key, they still can't do it. So that's the kind of thing that I think has to be yeah, out there. I think uh, I love that because it, it's really, uh, I'm personally, I don't believe the answer is, you know, self-sovereign everything, decentralized everything. Um, I think we need to, you know, have a separation between church and state. It's okay to have certain... Um, third parties participating in helping you control your wallet, uh, your private keys, for example. Um, so well, especially during a transition period where we're introducing yeah. concepts that people don't have any sort of metaphor in their natural life for. Like, exactly. What in our world can we lock ourselves out of and there's not a way to get back in? <laughs> very, very few things, if anything. Like there's always a way back in. You lose yeah. your keys, there's not, right? Yeah. So that's just a concept that's so foreign to most people that giving them a bridge whether that's a partner yeah. or you know some some sort of way to start taking ownership and accountability of that responsibility is yeah. important. Yeah. Um, so uh, we only have a few minutes left. So you've been to ETH Denver since the beginning. Uh, what are your reflections on what you've seen so far compared to previous years that you've been here? And I'm interested in hearing how, how the community has changed. Too. Yeah. What's your perspective on that? Um, I think the community now is more serious. Yeah. Um, I, you know, obviously you, know, you come here in 2017 and you could, you could barely walk. <laughs> um, and, and there were a lot of looky-loos, um, you know, like most technology waves, the real work that makes a difference is not done during the first uh, year boom of irrational exuberance. Yeah. It's done through the trough of disillusionment yes. that happens now. Right. As a former dot-com entrepreneur, I can tell you it was the same thing in the dot-com. In fact, we can all look at it and say, how many companies that you can name were actually there before the crash in 2001? And the answer is mostly it's two companies you can name. <laughs> right. yeah. eBay and Amazon. Yeah. Everything else, including Google, really happened after the yeah. crash, right? They happened after like, Facebook did. Um, so, you know, this is this is when the real stuff happens. And I think that what you see is the people who are here at East Denver, the people who are still engaged and involved in the community are the ones who, um, who weren't in it for a quick flip or get rich quick. They're in it because of the long-term value. Yeah. And, and they all accept and understand that, you know, this is hard work um, and it's going to take time. And It'll be one of those things where 10 years from now, we'll all look back and say, holy cow, look at where we are. But you may not notice it yeah. quite so much from year to year. And it's the same thing. If you go from 2001 to 2011 and say, what changed in those 10 years? It's like, holy cow. Oh, I know. I remember standing in line for my first iPhone. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it, was, it was crazy. And then, of course, from 2011 to 2020, it's like, you know, it's obviously exponential. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's that's what I think is going to happen. I think you know this is where real stuff happens, and we're going to see the real innovation. I think with a couple key innovations like what we're doing with Fio and 
and and some better things on the key management side that I think are starting to happen. I think in the next you know couple of years we'll start to see the beginnings of mass adoption. We'll start to see you know users and companies say you know this actually is better. I actually would rather use uh, crypto to pay and to receive than I would um, you know than I would use to use other options. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, David, this has been fantastic. Appreciate cool. you Thank you for having chatting me. with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. And we're uh, looking forward to hearing. Uh, you said the launch is coming. Mainnet in March. Is, is planned for March. And uh, where can people go to learn more about FIO? FIO.foundation. Thank you. FIO.foundation is the, the website. Um, so uh, that works. Also, FIO protocol.io uh, also works. Um, so, both of those, all the information is out there white paper, roadmap, all the FIO members, um, the video demos, uh, everything's out there. So, it's, it's, Pretty much all public. The code will be open sourced at Mainnet, so at that point, everything will be will be publicly available. Fantastic! Great. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Awesome. Well, thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fork the Product. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share this podcast with all your crypto friends. See you next time. Sorry,